Hello, and welcome to the Siblings Cast Watches His Dark Materials, a podcast where five siblings watch all eight episodes of the HBO and BBC series His Dark Materials and talk about them. I'm Joshua. And I'm Kate. Thank you so much for joining us on our very first real episode. Be warned, this episode contains spoilers for episode one, because how else would we be able to discuss the episode without talking about what happens? So if you have not seen episode one yet, pause this podcast, watch the episode, and then come back and continue listening. That is, unless you are like our brother, Caleb, who believes that things are more enjoyable once they've been spoiled, an opinion the rest of us passionately disagree with. To start off, Kate will give us a summary of what happens in each episode with probably more details than you are asking for. So, here goes. Episode 1, Lyra's Jordan, begins with an introduction to what kind of story this is going to be. We learn through on-screen text that it is a world similar to ours, though not the same. We learn about demons, this idea that souls live outside the body in the form of animals, and the nature of the relationship between people and their demons. We learn of the control of the magisterium and of a prophesied child. As the words begin to disappear, two remain, prophecy and destiny. We then see a man carrying a child to Oxford and invoking scholastic sanctuary for Lyra and Pantalaimon. The episode then jumps 12 years into the future, showing our protagonist, Lyra, her demon Pan, and her best friend, Roger, running across the rooftops of Jordan College, and we get a glimpse of her life of being raised under the protection of scholastic sanctuary. We're reintroduced to the man who first carried Lyra to Jordan College, who we later learned to be her uncle, Lord Asriel, with his ultimate badass snow leopard demon, taking pictures of the Northern Lights, and we begin to learn of his opposition to the Magisterium. He then comes back to Jordan College with the ultimate Kickstarter campaign speech that involves a frozen severed head, our first mention of dust, and of course, the ultimate heresy of the idea of a multiverse that is not under the Magisterium's control. We witness another heartbreaking departure as Lyra screams for Asriel to take her north, and that they would have plenty of time to talk if she went with him. When he refuses, Lyra asks him if his airship was similar to the one that her parents died on. After Asriel's departure from Jordan College, we are introduced to the Egyptians, which gives us an even deeper glimpse into the human-demon relationship through Tony Costa's Becoming a Man ceremony, marked by the fact that his demon has settled into his final form. We then see the truly harrowing kidnapping of Tony's younger brother, Billy. We learn through the later arrival of John Faw that this is not the first Egyptian child to be kidnapped and that the gobblers have already taken 16 Egyptian children. Back in Jordan College, we are introduced to Mrs. Coulter, who sweeps in and immediately captivates Lyra by giving her the attention that we see she so clearly desires from her uncle. In stark contrast from Asriel's determination to not allow Lyra to come with him, Mrs. Coulter asks Lyra to be her assistant and to go with her to London, with the promise of eventually traveling to the north. The master of Jordan College, as well as the librarian, introduce us to the lithiometer, a device that tells the truth. He talks about the prophecy and Lyra's role in it, though unlike Harry Potter or Anakin Skywalker or many other chosen ones, Lyra must not be aware of her own destiny. Later, the master will give Lyra the alethiometer with the express command that she must not tell anyone about it, not even Mrs. Coulter. Roger goes missing, and when Lyra confides in Mrs. Coulter, they agree that the best thing for Roger is for them to continue on to London, where Mrs. Coulter promises that she will succeed in finding Roger. The two depart in London in an airship while Lyra comments that Egyptians are leaving Oxford as well. 
As we mentioned in the introduction episode, we are all recording this separately, and there might be a few audio glitches as we figure out the best way to record this remotely. Also, please forgive my mic for scratching on my beard. I'm really sorry about that. All right, let's jump into the conversation. Well, I, for one, do not trust Miss Coulter. I don't think she's a good person. I don't know who she is other than, is that her name? The adventurer lady? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't trust her because mm-hmm. like the last thing that her uncle, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. He, uh, the last thing he said was like, I don't trust anybody, you know? And then we see this superhero come in right after he's been, right after the headmaster was like, no, yeah, I set her up. Like, I don't trust her. I don't think she's a good person, but because I think, what if she's with the with the kidnappers? Hey, the kid kidnappers. <laughs> what, what are the they gobblers? called? Yeah, the gobblers. gobblers. That's it. Yeah. What if she's with them? Because they're both going to London. But because didn't she want to go? Oh, you want to go? But isn't she like with the magisterium? Kind of. I don't even. Who is the magisterium? Are they like the government? The Magisterium is um, what we've learned so far just from the, like, opening. Um, yeah, just, like, the first episode. Well, from the, or, like, oh, opening the, oh, the intro. Yeah, is that they are, um, like, the all-powerful controlling force. So they are kind of like the government. And um, well, they're using also, like, very religious terms. Mm-hmm. To, like, yeah, is that what is? Okay, so he was the father. Mm-hmm. yeah was who the father the um the guy that was talking to the, the uh the other guy the, he called him father i don't remember i don't know his name yeah, yeah. you can go josh <laughs> yeah so i i think it's just well one we didn't specify that kate and i uh know what happens in this story already and we're going to oh. keep spoilers uh because we've we've read the books um right. but uh w- i don't think it's spoilerly i don't think it's at all a spoiler to say that the magisterium is kind of like like this this world runs like as if it is a um like a church run state okay. uh so like it's almost like if if you're thinking about like medieval Europe or something where the church and the the Catholic church specifically had a lot of power. Um, it's, this is taking it to the extreme where they are, uh, the, the church and also the government and right. they've given the college, like some, some leeway to do stuff and they don't interfere to a certain extent, but you can kind of see like in this episode that they're a little weary of how much, Mm -hmm. uh, especially, um, I can never pronounce her uncle's name, right? Asriel. Asriel for someone, uh, for some reason, I always want to say Azizel, but that's a different (laughs) character and a different thing. Um, uh, yeah, Lord Asriel there, they know that, uh, he has certain feelings mm-hmm. um, and they don't. So, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting um, that idea. And I think, I think they did a decent 
job setting that up um, in a way that's under. You can kind of get. I, I feel like the magisterium. Mm-hmm. They left enough mystery, but also I yeah. feel like maybe they could have explained something a little bit better. Yeah, I definitely think that will that will unfold a lot more. Just um, who all is a part of the magisterium, how deep the ties are. We kind of see how um, you know the master um, at Jordan College, as well as the librarian, were kind of caught up in this idea of that they do have a little bit of um, what they kind of consider like scholastic freedom to explore truth, but that there's also a very strong line there that they cannot cross. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're really kind of seeing this idea between um, pursuit of knowledge versus like staying in these Mm -hmm. kind of tight and censored boundaries yeah borderline very censorship yeah especially going as far as like you know the murder that uh they're obviously you know trying to kill as real or as real or whatever and uh you know i didn't want to do it but he was like ultimately it's what's got to be done but i mean obviously it's it's not what's got to be done but the fact that they're going they're willing to go so far just shows how far they have come. Right. And he's, and I think they even, um, you can clearly see like the deep affection that both the librarian and the master have for Lyra. And so while I definitely think like part of the motivation behind the master attempting to murder Asriel is to keep Jordan college at a place where it can at least pursue some knowledge, um, can still at least operate underneath the you know even still the control of the magisterium i think that you find out when they're talking about lyra's role in um what is to come which we're not really with that you know we don't know what the prophecy said um and we obviously don't know lyra's role in it yet but i also think that there was some motivation to try to protect lyra by not bringing so much attention onto the college, um, which ultimately doesn't Mm -hmm. happen. um, And they have to let her go. But I think there's like some of those mixed um, motivations there. They're just like seeing who's going to be pulling the strings because I mean, it seems like they're working, obviously working for that, the magisterium's, you know, pool or whatever, you know what they want to do, but obviously what was that crow that was talking to the uh, the master that's his de- that's his that's demon. his his demon okay it's his personal mm-hmm. okay so i wonder because he was like he was pressuring him right uh to put the uh, the poison into the drink yeah so like one of the things too about demons when it when it says that it's like the spirit outside your body it also mm-hmm. Um, so people in this world don't necessarily all the time have the ability to hide their emotions or their true intent because their demon will kind of at times show that outwardly. Mm -hmm. So like, I think part of that, what made that scene interesting was showing that he was hesitant, but deep down he was actually 
pretty resolute on what he mm-hmm. had to do. And um, yeah, I, I think, I think they had such good hints on the demon relationship without having, without completely over explaining yeah. it. Um, but it was, yeah, that was, I think that was a really interesting scene um, to kind of hint at that deeper yeah. relationship between yeah. the person and their demon. And there's more gray area. And then the, the demon just shows, you know, yeah. I think that's it's definitely really interesting. I also think, um, like, speaking of just the, like, relationship between a person and a demon, like, and kind of seeing that play through, I think the Egyptian, um, kind of our introduction to the, like, Egyptian characters and the Egyptian culture um, with this, like, coming-of-age ceremony as his um, demon is in his final form was really interesting. Um, and also like, I was trying to listen really carefully to the song that they were singing. Um, and really one of the only lines that I caught was, um, they said that like rejoice, your path is decided because the demon like is settled now. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting. Like, again, going back to this idea, um, of destiny and, uh, your, agency inside of this greater destiny and we also see you know like we heard when the master gave lyra her the alethiometer um another thing that he said was like people are moved by great forces you know like i can't remember the exact quote but again you know like so many elements in this world that is just really kind of pushing this idea of outside destination which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to reaching like the one place that's outside of their reach, you know, the, the, the kingdom in the sky that they don't necessarily know how to get to yet. And they still don't really know if it's real, but that there's enough evidence to question it. But the fact that, you know, now that they're trying to question it, they're, they're getting a lot of, well, don't, don't you do that, you know, from the, from the people up top, which is, definitely interesting like they obviously well i don't know if they know about it but the fact that they're so scared is is or i guess the magisterium or whatever is so scared of it which i think i don't know i mean i have no idea why yet i guess because they don't know if they can control it or what but it's interesting to see where that's gonna go yeah i think um from what I can tell, like I did obviously, like Josh said, read the books, but they were so long ago that like, I remember certain things, but I honestly remember the other, the later books better. Um, so I can't even fully <laughs> remember like some of the big aspects of this book, but I think from this episode, I think why that was such heresy is that the magisterium has such tight control over every aspect that, you know, he even, I think says like there are, when he presents this idea of a multiverse, like the idea behind why it's heresy is that there are more worlds that the magisterium does not control. Mm -hmm. Therefore they can't be all powerful. They can't be like the end all or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, because there are things that aren't, under its control right yeah and i think again it just plays into that narrative that's very similar to thinking about the control that um the church 
had over science where if it wasn't something that they could use to manipulate or to um to kind of if they if it was something that might go against what they were teaching then it was dangerous um and so you see like a lot of these renaissance scientists and and thinkers get punished by the church for coming up with these ideas that were different enough um so i think i think that correlation is is again really interesting here where you see like the pull of we can't there are things that we can't investigate or shouldn't investigate because it might cause too much trouble with the magisterium and then you have um lord asriel saying we have to that's what oh that's our job is what's why we're here is to investigate these things and no one should be able to tell us that we can't so i I think that i find that idea really interesting and i i think it 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 brings back into um into view the alethiometer this device that somehow um its masters believed tells the truth um And so this kind of like pursuit of truth above all seems like it's going to be a theme. Right. And I guess that's also going to come into play with figuring out who her parents are. Does she know? I mean, I, I don't know. At first I thought it was her uncle was posing as her, or like her uncle was her dad and was posing as her uncle because he didn't want to like give that burden on her that her dad gave her away to go and run off and do like that, uh, you know, his, whatever lifestyle he was doing for the, for the, um, the Academy or whatever, the Oxford people. Um, but like, I don't know if she's ever going to search out who her parents are. I don't know. The only thing that we know about her parents are, is that like scene, which was Daphne Keen like played that scene so perfectly mm-hmm. um where you know she runs to the airship and he is leaving and she is like begging him to take her with her and that they'd have time to like connect and talk if they if he took her um and when she just wasn't getting through she you know like she asks him is this like the airship that my parents were killed on. Um, So I think that's really the only thing that we know about her parents, whether her uncle has told her more than that or just that they died. I don't know. And I think like she's seeking that connection with her uncle, but he's like not giving it to her. And that's why she is so willing to go with the lady who was like, I, you know, come with me and we can explore. And I don't know, she's giving her these things that she's wanted. Yeah, right. she's yeah. more easily trusting because she's looking for that parent figure. Mm-hmm. He's fulfilling when her uncle wasn't. And also that scene, like, I literally, like, was crying so much. <laughs> Heartbreaking. <laughs> it was really well done. Nice. It's <laughs> really sad. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think the, um, it definitely like opened her up and I, I liked that Caleb was like what you mentioned at first, just not trusting, um, Mrs. Coulter because it's like whatever 
I feel like a character is giving another character exactly what they want. It just feels manipulative. Um, not to mention, like I rewatched it today and I had noticed the first time I watched it that um, obviously Lyra is like so captivated by her that when Roger like fills up her glass, she doesn't even notice him, right? He's like, hey, Lyra, like sh she does not even break eye contact with Mrs. Coulter. But when I watched it the second time, he, Roger goes around to try and fill Mrs. Coulter's water. And she literally puts her hand on Lyra's chair and blocks him. And so, like, not only is she, like, pulling Lyra in and captivating her by giving her that attention that she obviously so clearly craves, she's also blocking her off from everything else. And not letting her lose that interest, um, which I thought was very interesting. Not to mention the way that she touches her all the time. Oh, yeah. It's very, it reminds me, y'all guys know how much I love Rapunzel and how much I love the movie Tangled. But it reminds me of that, like, possessive type of like giving someone what they want like that of like affection but in a way that is very um contr controlling and possessive mm -hmm. i definitely agree and i think it's really um the the actress that plays um miss coulter does a really good job of uh being charming to lyra and then also like yeah just with her body language doing things that seem kind of slightly off a little bit. Um, and I don't know. Um, yeah, I've seen that actress in, uh, I can't place her name off the top Ruth of my head. Wilson? Ruth? Ruth? Something. She was just in Anna Karenina that Christy and I just watched. And then, um, yeah. she's also really great in the show, uh, Luther which is really good um with Idris Elba but um yeah just she has these features uh and can use her face in such an expressive way that seems like alluring especially Delira and then also there's just something that seems uh slightly offer that she definitely has a hidden motive that she's mm -hmm. not saying and then it's just you can tell even with the just oh i don't want to bore you with with these details of the things that she knows lyra is really excited about and is clearly eager to hear and then it's like oh i don't want to bore you with them she's like no please tell me more i could never be bored hearing about this and it's like okay that's just super manipulative already yeah <laughs> um so uh, yeah it was really interesting yeah like the fact that she was like um, telling her that she knows how to save Roger and if we could just go to London or whatever. And then once she's on whatever they're called, the airship or whatever, she's like, we're not going to talk about this right now. We're, it's time to be quiet. Like just shuts her up. So that was when I first was like, you know, she was giving so much like love and affection before. And then she got her with her and she stuck with her so then she was like we're not going to talk right now like that's when i started being a little more skeptical mm. of her obviously as someone who doesn't know anything about these characters like i like i feel like y'all know more 
<laughs> like y'all know their intentions, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know these characters. This is my first time watching it as well. But I definitely was like, okay, I don't trust this woman because she came in right when her, you know, her uncle left, just swooped in, took his spot, and was giving her all the all the attention that you know she was desperately craving. And uh, it seems like she totally just took advantage of it. And I think that's where it's going to end up going. But obviously, you know, we only have a little, you know, a little bit of crumbs here and there right now. just because it's the first episode. But I'm definitely interested to see where it's going to go. Yeah, I'm excited. Like, I didn't know how I would feel about... Um, I remember seeing the previews early on, but like, I, I didn't know anything about it. And then... I'm glad you guys got me in to watch it because I'm super hooked and like wanting to know what's going on. It was really hard not to watch the second episode before we did this. Um, even though I already know what, uh, I already know what happens. I was still just kind of like, oh, I kind of want to, I want to see how they do it. Yeah. Um, I want to see what, what happens next. Kate, uh, you touched on something earlier that was, I think one of the things that I think that they did a decent job was, and I was curious to see what other people took from it was the, um, uh, the manhood ceremony for the Egyptians, just with this idea that, um, you're, yeah, I was just curious what people thought about the idea that the demons, which we saw, especially in that first sequence with Lyra and Roger running, um, the demons changing form and then finding out that once you reach a certain age, um, your demon takes its final form and, and Roger and Lyra touched on it a little bit, but I, I thought it was really interesting how they brought that idea forward instead of just saying, Hey, your demon's going to change and now it's going to stay the same like it was it was really interesting to have like mm-hmm. a whole ceremony so i was curious to yeah. see if that like got you it looks like M M might have some thoughts i mean i just have a lot of questions so like does it the animal that yours settles on is it saying something about who you are or is it just like a random animal that it decides to choose. I don't. I don't. Know. I so when I, uh, if someone else wants to talk, that's fine. Um, I am. I, it has not been revealed necessarily in the episode, um, but I like I said that line from the song that they were singing over the like ceremony, like rejoice, your path is decided. Um, I do believe that in a greater story that the settling of the animal does um, would some like come in play with your, either your status or like what you go on to be or how people perceive you. Um, But I think, you know, like when she was asking what, um, what Roger thought that Sylvia, is that his? Cecilia? I think so. It starts with an S or a soft. Cecilia, maybe, I think. Um, What she would settle in, like, his things were both, like, like, a house cat. Like, it was very, you know, like, 
something that would just kind of be in the house, but not like, I don't know. Not in the forefront, like in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and obviously like we know that he works in the kitchens, like he is a servant. And so there is like. They didn't notice when he was gone too. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but they also, you, you know, uh, Lyra was asking everybody, have you seen Roger? And they're like, no, I haven't seen him. Nope. Nope. Haven't seen him. You know? So, I mean, it's very, you know, that's, I, I, it hasn't been said, but I do think that it has some correlation to, uh, to your personality and the fact that it changes as you, as you grow older, um, I think can, can be, you know, helpful, you know, can help the point of that. But, um, I think it was inter- we saw Lyra's change, um, colors. I saw it, it's in some scenes it was solid white and there was another scene where it had black on its chest. It could have been a shadow, but it looked like it was straight up black and brown. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I can't yeah, remember when it happened. Pan mostly goes back and forth um, between like two different, I don't know exactly what kind of animals, but they're very kind of like weasel-like. I don't know what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like ferrets. Ferrets. Yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, I meant. I think the white one is called, it's like an unique or something. I can't remember. Um I'll, I'll have to look it up. It, uh, but it's kind of like an Arctic, like small weasel mm-hmm. fox. Um, Is it mink? So it's like Minks? all like no, it's like something I can't remember. Um, I don't want to sound stupid by just blurting <laughs> out something that's not true. But Caleb, I, I really liked what you said about the changing, and then the settling is like such a staple of like growing up and how mm-hmm. when you're when you're young and as you're growing and um evolving so much of who you are is in flux and changing by your circumstances and the people that you're around mm-hmm. and all those kind of things and then eventually you get to a point where you kind of figure it like you kind of settle on who you are as a person and you've taken all these influences but it doesn't just happen right away. And I, I love the idea that it's personified in the actual, your actual demon where it's, you're mm-hmm. constantly changing and you can flip to morph any kind of situation. And then eventually you, you kind of lose that ability, but you gain something else, which mm-hmm. I think is just really, really awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we, um, can kind of see like how much the form of the demon is influenced by both the people around you, like your community, your family, and also like by your desires. Um, so like Josh was talking about how you, you can all can, you can sometimes see a person's intent by the way that their demon behaves, but you can also kind of see Lyra's this like dream and desire of going north um, that she has based on the fact that Pan so often is that um, animal that we don't know the name of, <laughs> but <laughs> is very like Arctic and mm-hmm. is white and would blend in, you know. Um, and then we also see that with Egyptians and how many, like if you saw in the scene where it kind of panned out of the ceremony, um, you know, his settled into a hawk. Is that right? Some, but you could see how many of the Egyptian 
um, demons were birds. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, these, that, that kind of idea that this culture is very like rooted in family, um, but not rooted in a place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think also like your demon being inspired by, you know, like these like deep desires and these like dreams of where you want to go, but also, you know, how much of you is influenced by how you were raised and who you were raised by um, and the culture that you come, you know, come from. Kind of like how her uncle has a snow leopard and she, like, he spends a lot of time in the North, apparently. Mm -hmm. And he is, like, very intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) And is, like, brute force over any kind of tact, always. (laughs) I think he's still cunning, though. He knows when people are on his tracks which is, is very nice. And the fact that he was so willing to listen to Lyra, um, given that we know she's, you know, not like a troubled child, but she's not always seeming to be following the rules. And the fact that, you know, he immediately was like, oh, okay, yeah, I trust that, you know, it's, you know, it's because I've got this, you know, information and there's, you know, this information could be considered dangerous to some. So I don't know. I really like him. I think he's a, he's going to be really interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if he dies soon. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not, no, no, not Caleb is always sure wanting yet. to kill off people I feel like. <laughs> no I am just oh, I have been hurt so many times that I am a little hesitant to put my full love into characters can't love anyone <laughs> I know can we can we just talk about how brilliantly James McAvoy plays that role by the way <laughs> uh, like when he is done with his meeting and he's just like chilling in that room. And then uh, his demon has to remind him that Lyra's in the, <laughs> in the <laughs> cupboard. And he's like, Oh yeah. And he was like, he was, cl- I mean, if he would have just walked out and like, mm-hmm. forgotten about her, which is mm-hmm. like really, uh, yeah, really sad. Um, and then even it, even the tenderness that he shows while like putting her to bed is like tainted by the fact that it's like you literally two minutes ago almost just left her to sleep in that cupboard and mm-hmm. wouldn't have thought about it again. Not to mention, oh, sorry, Jessica. Well, I I feel like watching it, you. I felt like I was seeing just a lot of hesitance. Like, I feel like he wants to show her affection. Like, he carried her to bed, and he was, you know, being gentle with her. And even on the airship, like, their goodbye, like, it felt like he was torn. But either he doesn't know how to be that, like, father figure or doesn't want to. I don't know yet. Like, I don't know the full story of where he got her from. Mm -hmm. See, yeah. more of like a hesitance like yeah there's also like in that scene where you know josh just mentioned that he almost forgot about her not only that but like the language that his demon i think her name is still maria um i might not be pronouncing that right but she said the girl like there's like even uh like if we're if this is like their soul their conscious this like you know mm-hmm. And, you know, we've talked about being able to see intent through their demon, but there is like such distancing 
in the way that she re- even reminds mm-hmm. him by saying the girl. Yeah. You know? It's like a level of disconnect that he has towards her. Like he's preventing himself from getting too mm-hmm. close or caring about her too much. Yeah. And I think it's like, um, you know, he, I paused cause he glances at the wall and he sees that she has, you know, made all of these drawings of the North, you know, only because that's where he is. That's obviously where her, why, like, and what started her obsession with this idea of the North. Um, it's because that is where he always is. Um, or at least that's what I think. And then it pauses on this postcard that he sent to her that she has taped to her wall. And, um, and he kind of, you know, looks at it. And I, I paused it because I really wanted to know what it said. And um, it's kind of a fun throwback to um, how the book opens, which is this really fun war between the like Lyra and Roger and the, um, the children of uh, Jordan College and like the Oxford area versus the Egyptians. And Lyra ends up stealing the Costa's boat. Um, and it's, it's really great. And, uh, but the postcard says, this is from Asriel. Uh, reports have reached me that you stole Egyptian boat. Tenacity aside, it would serve you to apply this zeal against the Costa children to your tuition with Charles. Regards, Asriel. And she has this postcard taped to her wall. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just this like this definite like underlying of this distance that he has from her. And like, and yet she has it such a place of esteem Mm -hmm. and that she idolizes him. Yeah, she does. And, And it's just, she, this like almost like affection that she's craving from him. The fact that she would, post this postcard that is so i don't know affectionate at all yeah yeah unloving (laughs) yeah like regards regards (laughs) yeah and it i mean he's essentially just like scolding her and she's just like oh oh, well and also yeah that is the card and i was a little i was hoping that the race at the beginning of the episode was going to be the, the mud, uh, like rock battle with the Egyptians. Cause it, it kind of introduces the Egyptians in a, like a, I think a, a interesting way where it shows that, yeah, they are definitely are outsiders and people don't, they're definitely the other, um, which I think the, sh- the show, I think did a, a, a really decent job, um, of, of showing that, I mean, they live on, they clearly live on these houseboats. They don't live in normal houses. Um, I mean, just looking out over the crowd during the, uh, ceremony, you can see that it's just full of all different kinds of people that probably don't fit in to society. Um, so I think the show did a, a good job, but I, I, I love the idea of them like, the kids even going to war with the Egyptians because it just shows how I'm instilled that otherness is in, in the community that they don't really care, which I think was interesting when um, 
uh, John Fox comes and, and says, you know, the gobblers have been taking kids all over, but no, no one really, no one cares about it necessarily because they're just taking Egyptian children. Um, and so it's like, they've been disappearing all over. So we need to, we need to go to London to figure out what's happening. And I, I just think it's really interesting. And I, I, I appreciate how they, how they portrayed that otherness in a way that is, uh, yeah, really sad. Hey, this is Boo, and you're listening to The Siblings Cast. Well, I mean, I was just thinking, like, the question I had after watching it was, like, what the heck is dust? And, like, what is it? Why is it attracted to adults and not children? Yeah. And there we have the crux of the whole (laughs) series. What I think was so interesting about, you know, like we find we find out about dust where we literally just hear the word but in that in that conversation like whatever Azriel has taken a picture of this fact that dust is attracted to only adults he literally says that it proves the magisterium's point about dust so that was interesting to me that he like proved their point somehow so it's like the magisterium has said that dust is only attracted to adults. Um, and he has proved that point that is accurate. Um, and then he also says most distasteful of substances. Don't know what it is, but it's apparently something that the magisterium has said is bad and also has to do with being an adult i don't know i don't know i'm just like wondering about the connection between the the kidnappings of the kids and them not being or having this attraction to this substance and yeah. why so why is the the, dust? <laughs> we literally know nothing but yeah i mean yeah yeah i don't i the what i think it is and yeah, this is going off of not knowing much. Um, I think kids are the only ones who can either see or maybe get into the new kingdom because I don't know. I just, is it like, so when he t- was taking pictures of the mountains or which, you know, came out to be the people, um, there was a dust around the man, but there, he could, there wasn't dust around the child. And, um, I was just wondering, you know, it just made me think that, because whenever he was talking about it, he was, he kept making a lot of eye contact with, uh, with Lyra. And specifically when he mentioned that, I think he like, I think the gobblers are taking people to the, t- taking kids to the North to try and get into the, either to try. I think that's, that's what they're planning on doing is taking the children to the North to see if they can, you know, maybe they know how to get into it with the children. Maybe they know, I just, I feel the children are connected to the North somehow. Um, and that's why he doesn't want to take her there because I think he knows that she's, you know, too important 
and maybe she needs to get there by herself or he just doesn't want her to be there because um she knows or he knows that she can affect something there or maybe it's just you know for her ultimate protection anyways but i think that's why he's been so hesitant because he knows that somehow children have to do with this new this new world and i don't know if he knows how yet or if that's even like that's just my theory so far well what was it that um the a master and the librarian were talking about when they were when he was telling the librarian that Lyra has to go on this journey, but she has to do it on her own. Didn't didn't he say that? She has to do it mm-hmm. on her own. And that this is all a part of the prophecy kind of thing. Was and it a part? He, and that she has to like. And that betrayal. they're like she they yeah, that there's going to be this betrayal where she's going to betray someone. Yeah. Yeah, so what he just, you know, um, what the master says is that, like, something terrible, or it's going to have terrible consequences if Azrael, Azrael is allowed to, like, keep going along on the path that he's going on, um, that Lyra has a great part to play, and that there, is, there will be, or it has a great journey and that there will be a betrayal and that she's going to be the one that betrays. Right. And that she can't, she cannot be, she has to do everything without being aware of her like role. So there is some very obvious withholding of information, but according to them, it's because it has to be that way. Um, she has to somehow fulfill her destiny without knowing that she is doing those things. It's, correct me if I just like missed it, but like the prophecy hasn't really been like clearly stated. No. We just know there is one about a child, but we don't know what it is. Yeah, because we don't even know like where the prophecy came from. Like, do they have old books that this prophecy is out of? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even know where Lyra came from. We just know that she's special, right? A whole lot of information. Well, we yeah. all, we really don't even know to like. So the only thing that we know is that um, in the north, in the wildness of the north, uh, witches whisper of a prophecy. Mm-hmm. So we don't know anything about what this prophecy says. Um, and it just says a prophecy of a child with a great destiny. It's not really saying anything, <laughs> which I also think t- like bringing up this idea of this like prophesied child with a great destiny in this like role to play um, also kind of makes me think of that scene where Azrael is leaving and it was so beautiful. Roger screaming up at him she's better than you think you are or than you think she is. Um, which that line I was, I was like, Oh, um, as like ultimate BFF, like Ron Weasley saying Sirius has to go through him, you know, like it is mm-hmm. like, she's better than you think she is. Um, and then he says she's special. And then Azriel's is just like, everybody's special. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like this interesting contrast between this idea of a prophesied child with a great destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I think it gives you a lot of insight into a little bit of why Lord Ezreal is like butts heads with the magisterium so much, I think in this sense where he is 
under the belief that everyone is special. Everyone has something about them and uh, his desire to seek the truth about everything, um, regardless of what truth is being told to him, I think makes his, his character so interesting to me. And I think with him saying everyone is special, he's also saying I'm special too. And my, what, what I want is also important. And what I want is to go and do this and, and not have to have someone else to look after, which I, I mean, it's very selfish, mm-hmm. um, but it is also, it's, it's interesting that he frames that, that comment with leaving someone who uh, adores him and wants to be a part of his life. And I mean, and, and he left this, child as a baby because obviously he also has that same has had that same mentality for a while where it's like yeah everyone Mm -hmm. is special and i am too and i should be able to do what i want um Mm -hmm. really interesting yeah Yeah. you can definitely see this like there will be nothing standing in my way between me and what i want to accomplish and what i feel is above everything else and just his yeah just his unwavering and almost Mm. like bulldozing personality to get his way and Mm. do what he wants to do yeah he moves like he doesn't have a lot of time left yeah i definitely definitely think that he is well aware of the reach of the magisterium and how much he's going to be pissing a lot of people off a lot of powerful people off um, mm-hmm. and you know we get this this very beginning which it felt very tender to me of him like bringing the baby to bringing lyra and um baby pan which was so cute he was so cute um to the college and invoking scholastic sanctuary and just and he's like demanding that uh, the master like keep her safe i totally forgot where i was going with that <laughs> what was i that's, even talking about well i just you know um that's why i thought he was like i don't know when i first saw it, i was like oh okay this is a dad and his daughter and then when he came off as like oh that's his uncle or her uncle i don't know i just i is that i don't know i don't want to ask but at the same time i just still feel like he's her dad that he just doesn't really like have the time for right now because he has these pressing matters that you know if if they don't if his if what he's doing doesn't get done you know it's just wasted time but i don't know he he could totally be her uncle and then that's just how it is but i just feel like there's more with their parents yeah we literally don't really know anything Mm -hmm. just that they died in an airship right okay but obviously a small one yeah yeah. Yeah. So apparently it's a small one. That answer. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but there was something in that answer that I thought was really mm-hmm. kind. Yeah. As well, because it was, it was like no, they their airship wasn't like this one because she was asking that in fear of yeah. Hey, are you going to die in this airship like my parents did? And he was mm-hmm. so while it was yeah, it wasn't the most comforting and sweet thing to say. It was also like I think in his way, 
the most reassuring he could he could be by saying no theirs was much smaller mm-hmm. and i think it it was kind of a sweet it, again he, he has this weird conundrum of being like incredibly harsh and then also being incredibly sweet mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in and his way things i feel like are always mixed together because even when he carried her to sleep like he couldn't be bothered to put her the right side the right way on her bed that killed me so annoyed that he didn't put her where the pillow was that really bugged me <laughs> because he was standing the other way right it was like he literally could not take the extra effort to put her the right way mm-hmm. here's a question uh if there's nothing super specific that anyone else wants to bring up um maybe we could well i won't participate in this because i still remember so much about the story but maybe people could give predictions on the next episode it'd be fun yeah well if y'all don't mind i mean i think i've already given a lot of my predictions uh but i can kind of wrap them up uh i think that ms coulter is working yeah, she's definitely working with either the magist was a magisterium or um, maybe even the the gobblers. But I definitely think that she's not going to be the best person for uh, Lyra. I think Lyra is going to be. I think Lyra is going to either betray Israel or Azriel or whatever, or uh, or Roger in some way. I think that's going to happen. Um, I think. Those are my predictions of who she's going to betray. I think she's going to betray Israel for Miss Coulter before we figure out Miss Coulter is a bad guy. I just, I know it. I know she's a bad guy. I know it. But I'm still not sure. I think that's what's going to happen, though. Um, but I think it's also interesting to see where the uh, the Egyptians are going as well. I want to see their their story um, conclude. I'm really interested in the Gobblers. I think that'll be fun um, to, to uncover. I think it's a nice little... Um, like mysterious part, but I think those are my predictions at least. Yeah. I think we're definitely going to see the other side of Miss Coulter and maybe even Lyra kind of like questioning and maybe even regretting her choice to go with her just because she's not who she thought she was. Um, I don't know who she's going to betray. Like, I don't, I don't know. I want to see her figure out how to use the, um, I don't know what you call it, the compass thingy. The thingy. Alethiometer. Which person? <laughs> the alethiometer. It really freaked me out. because Okay. Um, yeah, I want to see her figure out how to use that because I mean, obviously that is like a huge key for her. Like a huge... Um, tool for her to be able to use especially if she is in the presence of someone who's not being honest with her and who's manipulating her then that's going to be really cool if it is uh, um like a truth thing what does it say yeah yeah like it tells the truth and she's currently possibly being lied to or whatever so i want to see that in oh, use, but I'm really bad at predicting because I don't have information at all at this point. I need more information. 
Yeah, I'm excited to see her figure out how to use the lithiometer too. I think it's so interesting that someone who seeks out the truth so much, uh, like Lord Hezreel, um, it's like th- that to me seems like something that he would covet um, so much. And then it's it's given to her, someone that he has kind of shunned um, in a way, I just love that contrast of someone who is like continually seeking the truth, no matter the cost. And then the one thing that he sets aside gets a thing that can tell the truth. It's so mm-hmm. interesting to me. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how they develop that in the series. And, and if they develop it, I mean, they might not because yeah. I don't and also, remember that being a thing in the books, but we don't see like, like all we see is that the master has it. We don't see Israel, Azrael. Everybody say Azrael. Azrael. Israel. Azrael. So I got really confused. I thought they were calling him Ezra, but that was way off. So, anyways, so do we know that he specifically gave it to the master? Yeah, the master says that when he's giving it to Lyra, that he says that uh, Azrael brought it to the college when she was just a baby. And that's when she says, I don't want it because he wouldn't have wanted me to have it. Which is interesting because she understands kind of how he feels towards her by saying that. Like, she kind of knows that. Yeah, and it was after he had just, like, almost abandoned her. So, I mean, she was... It was a little sore for her, I feel like. <laughs> but definitely, definitely hurt. Yeah, I do think what is interesting, again, I've read the story, but I don't really remember it. Um, but what I think is interesting, because I don't really fully remember how the alethiometer works, but obviously the master is able to use it because he says in specific times, like the alethiometer says. Um, but he is also the one that contacted Mrs. Coulter to come and take Lyra. So there's like interesting things like that. And so I wonder like how the alethiometer works and how is it something that is actually tells the truth. And And does he know who Miss Coulter does he know who she is and her intents? Like, he's the one who set Lyra up to go with her, correct? So, like, I'm interested to know, like, how much he knows about her or how well he knows her and what will come of, I don't know, I guess her time, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, and, how, like, how much, like, the master, obviously, like, we get such like mixed signals with him of like, we definitely see this like affection for Lyra. Um, but also how much is it, is he kind of like this Dumbledore character that is setting her up to do something that maybe puts her in a really, you know, like hard place, but is doing it because it's, or you know or yeah he thinks that that's what should happen so I think that's interesting like how that's going to play out because there definitely is both I think those feelings for the 
there's definitely like a, an affection there um, from what I can tell with the master and Lyra. So it's just interesting to me that he's the one that like set up Mrs. Coulter being there when everybody is like, hmm, not getting like all of us are like, mm, not getting good, great vibes from this. But mm-hmm. anything else? Any any last thoughts that anybody has? I'm square. No, I think I mentioned all of my, my last thoughts. I, yeah, I, I think the world building was great, and the characters characterizations are awesome, and I'm really. Uh, it'll be. Um, it'll be hard to see certain characters, I think, portrayed by different actors from what I've already seen them portrayed as, and the the ones they've been in my head. Um, but so far, I all of those were put aside because these the characterizations here are amazing. Yeah, because we've we've both like we've said we've read the books and we did watch the movie and though even though the movie is a terrible representation and is so confusing and doesn't halfway make sense, the casting of that was actually really, really wonderful. Um, My God, it's so great. The casting is spectacular on the movie. The movie itself is um, confusing as hell and not good. It doesn't even have a a resolution. They didn't even finish the book. No, it's nothing. So annoying. Um, So, but so far, yeah, I think it has been played with... um, a lot of depth and I, yeah, the characters feel really real to me, um, this new cast, so. Yeah, so far I really enjoy the cast and characters and I feel like I'm just excited to finish or to keep, continue on the story. Continue on the journey. Continue on the journey with Lyra. Lyra's journey. That's what they should have called the episode. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, I think that was a really great first episode, and I'm really excited to discuss episode two with you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Love you all. Love you Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the siblings cast and on Twitter at siblings cast and subscribe to this podcast. If you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review. We'll see you next time. Episode 1, Lyra's story, begins with an introduction to what kind of story this is going to be. We learn through the on-screen text that this world similar to ours and not the same. We learn about demons and this idea that souls live outside the body in the form of animals and the nature of the relationship between people and their demons. We learn of the control of the magisterium and of a prophesied child. As word begins to disappear, two remain, prophecy and destiny. We soon see a man carrying a child to Oxford and invoking scholastic sanctuary for Lyra. <laughs>